Okay, so uh, back at it. It is time for the Pistols Firing Podcast with your hosts, yours truly, Carson Cunningham. I mean, he's about as pretty as they get. Joined, as always, by Kyle Porter. When he breaks through and gets in the open, it's over. Gone. The Pistols Firing Podcast starts right now. This is a different Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham with Kyle Porter. This is an OSU Rewatchables. If you're not familiar, the uh, Rewatchables podcast, super popular podcast from The Ringer, they do movies with categories and, and topics, and they've also done some sports games. I think one of the first ones they did was the Thunder against the Warriors. So we're going to basically copy that model. I call it an homage, Kyle, more than just a ripoff. This is kind of an homage to the rewatchable sports-wise. But uh, we're going to dive into the 2004 regional final, Oklahoma State against St. Joseph's. I think we all remember where we were when we watched this one. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of what everybody in sports media is doing right now is – going back and watching games and talking about them. So that's essentially what we're doing. I wrote a ton of notes by the time, by the time this podcast is posted, I I wrote an actual post for the site. So it'll, something will be up on the site about this, just kind of a few of the notes that we talk about, maybe a few others. And uh, yeah, I put a, I actually put a thread in the forum as well. So I'll kind of reference that as we, as well, as we go through this. Well, let's, let's get right to it, Kyle. I, I kind of want to set up just the lead-up to this game. Uh, Oklahoma State was coming off a season in 2002-2003 where they were, they were good, but they were just kind of okay. They won 22 games. They were fourth in the Big 12. That was Victor Williams and Melvin Sanders' final year at Oklahoma State. They were good, not great. So, And they were the sixth seed that year in the tournament. They advanced past Penn, and they lost to Carmen. Hello, Anthony, in the second round. So that was kind of the lead up from the year prior. And so with that in mind, OSU Kyle was preseason barely ranked. They were the 25th team in the preseason poll, which just seems unfathomable. But it kind of, I think Kyle speaks to the fact that this team was kind of thrown together with transfers and people didn't really know what to make of them. And, you know, it, it kind of speaks to how under the radar this team was coming into the year. Yeah, I didn't realize they were. I wonder how much of that had to do with. I mean, people didn't know how good John Lucas was. That was his. That was his first year, right? Because he went, he went o three o four, and then o four o five because he had transferred. We're going to talk about this later, but he had transferred from Baylor after the scandal there. So, yeah, I mean, I I think I think a lot of that was just it was such a different team in o two o three than o three o four. It was kind of like the transition from. Oklahoma State football from 09 to 10, right, where you introduce Whedon and Blackman, and you're like, oh, well, this is this is different than it was last year. So I think that that's kind of the the comp for me there. Yeah, and they they absolutely just demolished a really good Big 12. I mean, they were 30 and three. Yeah, it's in the, in the regular season, that is un, really unfathomable. And this is this is really the height of the Big 12. You know, Kansas was rolling under Bill Self. You had Rick Barnes at, at Texas. OU was coming off an Elite Eight with Blake Griffin. Of course, they were rebuilding. But, man, they, they just they won the Big 12 regular season championship. We all remember that game where they just demolished Texas at home. Then they go on and win the Big 12 tournament. They blow out Texas 65-49 to in the Big 12 title game. So, really, they had done everything humanly possible in their power 
to earn a number one seed leading into this tournament. And this is something I forgot, Kyle. Uh, Billy Packer and Jim Nance were on the call for this game. And I kind of forgotten on the selection show, Billy Packer was irate that Oklahoma State did not get a number one seed. Instead, St. Joseph's got the number one seed over Oklahoma State, as well as Duke, Kentucky, and Stanford, who only had lost one regular season game all year. Uh, so I, I'd kind of forgotten, Kyle, of the uh, the outrage that Billy Packer had and really the, the controversy that OSU just destroys the Big 12 and, and has 30 wins and doesn't even get a one seed. Well, and, and the reason they didn't get the one seed is even more indefensible. Jim Nance talked about this on the broadcast. He said, and, and I guess I don't remember this, but I guess during, or I vaguely remember it, during the selection show, the the committee, because I guess they you know did interviews back then like they do now. Well, not this year, but normally. And they, they essentially said, look, the Big 12 title game happened too late in the selection process, <laughs> which is insane, first of all. And that's going to be part of my, um, we're going to do what if sliding doors later on. That's going to be part of mine. But it, I mean, just imagine like somebody coming on the, the, and I know they've moved all the conference games around to kind of accommodate that, but that's crazy that you, that like the conference title game didn't finish in time for you to get the seating right. Yeah. What in the world? Then you're not doing the seating right. Big 12, what are you doing scheduling the game at a time in which it can't even be factored into the, the selection show? That well, that was insane. I mean, also, like, I don't know. The conference tournament thing, is it great? For sure. It provides you a couple of weeks of great basketball. But, like, is OSU different if they lose that Big 12 title game? I think they play Texas Tech than if they than if they win it. No, they're the same. They, they won the freaking Big 12 regular season. That's a way bigger deal. And that shouldn't be the differentiation between getting a one or a or a two seed. Oh, did I get that wrong? They beat they beat Tech in the Big Twelve title game. I thought it was Texas. Maybe that was the. It was. I think uh, I'm talking. I guess I I think the score from when they just killed Texas the last. Oh no no no! no. You're right. I was thinking of two. I was thinking of uh, 2005. So they they beat uh, Iowa State in, in the first round. Texas Tech in the second round, and then Texas in the in the Big 12 tournament championship. It was 2005 because they went back to back Big 12 tournament titles, and 2005 they beat Texas Tech in the final. That's right. So not only do, does OSU get get screwed by the committee and get a two seed, they ship them out east to East Rutherford, which against St. Joseph's is basically hostile territory. Not that St. Joe's has a ton of fans, but they get shipped as far away as possible, which on the surface, seems like they got screwed even more, Kyle, but they have such great history in East Rutherford, New Jersey. That's where big country and them punched their tickets to the to the Final Four. So there's a lot of symmetry there. And so they go to the East Bracket, Kyle, they're the two seed, and I think they go through an absolute murderer's row to face St. Joe's. Yeah. They, they, they have the hardest road possible. They play, they obviously, they, they take care of Eastern Washington in the first round. Then they play... The seven seed Memphis, this is under John Calipari. He's just taken over. He's just getting them rolling. They have 22 wins. That's a seven seed. They didn't get to play the 10. They played the seven. Then, Kyle, and this is another another screw job by the committee, they play a three seed in Pitt who had 30 wins. They were 31 and, and uh, four coming into this game against Oklahoma State. And OSU, it's a close game. It's Tony Allen's. Is, it's probably his Picasso, one of yeah. the best games of his career. Yeah, they they beat this Pitt team by double digits somehow after a close game. 
that gauntlet of that that Memphis team and that Pitt team, and then they, then they get their chance at St. Joseph's. So this is kind of the buildup going into this game. There was controversy uh, that, that St. Joe's got the one seed, but OSU gets their chance. But just man, what a gauntlet they had to go through to get there. Yeah, that the the, uh, the Pitt game. We should do a rewatchables for the Pitt game because it's also on YouTube. I think it's on YouTube. I think I saw it on there. I think I linked to it the other day. Yeah, um, it is. They didn't, you know, Pitt that year. They didn't have any. I'm looking at their roster. Aaron Gray, who eventually played in the NBA, was on that team. Chris Taft, who played in the NBA, but they were both freshmen. Uh, they didn't have anybody who was amazing, but they were just. And, and I think this about St. Joe's also. They were one of those college teams that you're like, they just get it. Like they all play well together, and they gel. They they've been around each other a long time. They had a bunch of seniors on that team. And uh, do you remember the speaking of that run? Do you remember the dunk that Joe Graham had on Memphis that year I do that's come up on on social media I think Brian Keating tweeted it out but that's one of the more iconic dunks in in OSU lore I think it was on uh, one shiny moment that year had to be I think it was I I remember seeing that and being like oh my gosh and then yeah this was pre-youtube so you couldn't you had to just watch one shiny moment to see it again yeah I think I bought it on iTunes. That was when it was like first coming out on iTunes. You remember that? <laughs> yes. Uh, so Tony Dating ourselves here. Tony had twenty three seven two two three in that uh, in that pit game. I mean, <laughs> we're going to talk about St. Joe's and Pitt in a, in a minute, but that the Pitt uh, or excuse me, we're going to talk about St. Joe's Oklahoma State in a minute. That'd be weird if we talked about St. Joe's and Pitt. Oklahoma State and Pitt combined for sixty two wins that year, and that's a sweet well, sixteen game. Yeah. I mean, what are we doing? I mean, they, they, like I said, they, a murderer's row. That's in the Sweet 16. I mean, again, that Pitt team, they won 31 games overall. I mean, this is when Jamie Dixon had Pitt rolling. They, they went on to be number one seeds or two seeds every year for the next four or five years after that. And uh, OSU, I think, did play Pitt too in like the regular season down in, in Oklahoma City, maybe the next year or the year after. So uh, they get past them, Kyle, and that sets up this game against St. Joe's, which obviously turns into an instant classic. That's why we're talking about it. And you're right, Nance and Packers said that St. Joe's was number four overall in the bracket and that OSU was number five. So there was a lot of, lot of unsettled business here between these two teams. And Kyle, just rewatching it, we'll, we'll run through the categories in a second, but I don't know about you, but when I started rewatching this game, I had completely forgotten what a disaster the first half was. <laughs> and I, I, I immediately remembered where I was when I was watching it and how – much of a lost cause the game seemed throughout that first half. It, it felt like there was just they were out, all out of sorts and they were not going to be able to come back. Yeah, it was 28-19 at one point, and Tony Allen looked like Keelan Boone out there. I mean, it was <laughs> it was a travesty. It was so bad. I mean, not nothing against Keelan, but he you know he, he looked like a freshman, and he's throwing it away. He's dribbling into double teams. After after maybe the best game of his career, he looks lost, and Lucas can't hit a shot, and it, uh, yeah, it was. It, there was one point I, I wrote down a note. It was like twenty eight to nineteen or something, and I just wrote down twenty eight nineteen exclamation point because, I mean, look, like you get down double close to double digits against a one seed in a in no matter when you're playing in the tournament, that's a that's tough. Like it is really hard to come back from that. And we'll talk about the second half a little bit later on, but yeah, the first half was just uh it was not 
it was not good. And Eddie was pissed the whole time. He was <laughs> yeah. so mad. Well, and and what St. Joe's did to get them out of sorts, Kyle, is they ran a full court press, and it looked like OSU had not practiced how to break a press. It was, oh, they were down. They had they'd given them at one point towards the very end of the first half. They've given up 16 points off turnovers. And St. Joe's only had 33 points. That was like their whole offense in the first half was just turning over. You mentioned it, man. We'll get into Tony Allen's game, but man, he was he was all out of sorts, dribbling it all over the place. And they made this this guy from St. Joseph's named Tyrone Barley look like Bowen circa 2000. This guy was just all over the place, getting steals. He was all over Tony Allen. He, I was gonna really, say really outplaying him. He guarded TA, didn't he? He did, and he was forcing all those turnovers where Tony was just dribbling into traffic, looked like he was just all out of sorts. And I thought Billy Packer, who we'll get to too, made a, a really smart point is, like, John Lucas wasn't missing shots by, like, a little. He was, like, airballing it and hitting backboard first. Like, it, it seemed as if, you know, the moment was was there. They knew how big a moment this was, and the whole team played like that in the first half. Yeah, no, I sorry, I was um, I'm I've got like 15 tabs open trying to figure out what's you know <laughs> my got my notes, my box scores. I I got a lot going on here. Um, yeah, you know it's funny because I actually looked up, and I've got all these notes written down for later. We can talk about them now. But I looked up John Lucas's three point percentage because I was like, I was like, is he was he just a worse three point shooter than I remember? Um, and he and he wasn't. He was really good. He was I think 40 two or 43 percent for his career at oklahoma state that's outstanding for a college player which is really good it was the same as uh juan evans and juan evans was was a good was a good three-point shooter as well um i was trying to compare him to somebody else so yeah he just was i mean it's one of those games where you know you can be just awesome throughout the regular season you know beating the iowa states and the tcus of the world you get to an Elite Eight game, Jim Nance is on the call, you know, CBS, national television, you got a one seed across the court. It's a little different. And you're and you're not used to the gym. You're shooting in a different gym. And uh, you know, when the chip when it started to get a little dicey in the first half, it wasn't it wasn't Tony or John Lucas that they went to. You know, it was it was Joe Graham. And he I thought was just phenomenal for most of the first, uh, I mean, the entire first half and the first part of the second half, then he got into foul trouble and it kind of got, you know, he, he kind of got removed from the game, but he was unbelievable for the first 25 or 30 minutes. Yeah, he, he was a man amongst boys. And he did, I thought I thought he contributed a lot to the, the problems with the press, too. He had a couple really bad turnovers oh as well in gosh. the first half. The yeah. whole team was just awful in the first half. And- it was so bad. And what this and we'll get to the we can get we need to get to the categories too. We're already going way long, but um, I thought this game encapsulized why every OSU fan felt so confident in Eddie Sutton. Yeah. How many how many games were there where a team would throw something at them that you would just say, "All right, just hang on, get to halftime, and Eddie's going to make adjustments." And that's exactly what happens in this game. It's un. They look like a completely different team coming out of halftime. They just jump all over St. Joe's. They finally get into their half-court offense, which is what St. Joe's did so well to take them out of. And they start making some shots. I believe the turnaround percentage was like they shot like 30% in the first half, and they shot like 70% in the first 
five, ten minutes of the second half. It was a complete turnaround, and, and obviously the game finishes in, in frantic fashion. Yeah, the uh, were you done there? Yeah. Sorry, I thought you got cut off there. Um, you know, it was, it was funny because Bonnie Bernstein was the, the sideline reporter, and coming out of halftime, Nance threw it over to her, and she was like – she said something like, you know, Coach Sutton told told his players during halftime, if you guys don't start turning it over, you're going to be back in Stillwater. And in my head, I was like, I wonder what that conversation was actually like. Like, I wonder what, what words were used that uh, she, yeah. could, she couldn't say on the air. Uh, but it's true. I mean, the, the, the turnovers in the first half are what killed them. And I thought they did – I thought they did such a better job in the second half. I, I don't feel like, you know, philosophically or strategically they changed a ton. Um, but I felt like they moved the ball a lot better. So instead of Tony Allen dribbling into a double team, you'd see him cut down the baseline and then feed Joey, who would just lay it in or dunk on somebody or whatever. And they just looked – it's almost like they just clicked into place in the second half, the team that they had been throughout the year. Yeah, they, they started playing inside out. They, they couldn't get the ball to McFarlane or Graham in the paint in the first half because they were too busy trying to break the press and then you know, the shot clock's winding down by the time they, they try to get into their offense. But as we all know, this game finished in just frantic fashion, and that's, that's where I want to start with our, our categories. Yeah, we, uh, let's, let's throw it to, uh, to Chris's University Spirit first. We're going to hear from them, and then we'll come back and – We've got, what, 12 categories here, 13 categories. So we'll start with number one and just work our way through them. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma, is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly. Shop Chris's University Spirit. All right, Carson. Category number one. Where do you want to start? Number one, the most rewatchable sequence of this game. Let me just kind of set the scene. The most rewatchable sequence is why this game's remembered. Obviously, the shot that John Lucas hits. But there are no timeouts remaining for either team. There's one minute left. John Lucas hits this step-back mid-range fadeaway. It was sick. It was filthy. And he had, hit, he had hit one earlier in that game, and you could almost see his brain working like, okay, I'm going to my bread and butter. Yeah. And he goes to that shot, hits it. St. Joe's comes down the floor. Again, no timeouts in this span. They run a pick-and-roll and Pat Carroll drills a three, which, by the way, it never felt like that guy was ever going to miss. He was left-handed. It felt like he was going to hit every three he looked at. St. Joe's up 62-61. Then it's the iconic moment. Again, no timeouts. Like, Lucas throws it to Joey Graham, who tries to make a move, slips, fumbles it, and just kind of desperately throws it to Lucas. The, The play looks like it's cooked, Kyle. They look done. And then, obviously, John Lucas hits the shot, the biggest shot I think in OSU history and uh, the rest is history. But that whole, that whole last minute is as good as college basketball gets. No timeouts, great offense run. Boom. That's the shot. So I, Carson, I've never, I've never done drugs. Um, <laughs> that's probably, I mean, people probably, that's not a revelation. Uh, the last minute was what I imagine doing cocaine is like. 
Um, <laughs> it, it was it was insane. I watched it three times on the on the uh, just I just rewound it and watched it like three different times because it happens in what feels like eight seconds, but it's it's an actual minute of of real time. I, I, I have this written down for later, but I'll just say it now. I thought – actually, I'll save this for later because I want to talk about the way the play unfolded for Oklahoma State. But, no, yeah. those, I mean, the last three possessions, like you see a ton of college basketball games where they end with fouls or they end with missed shots or whatever. So to go you know, back and forth three times in a row and get just dagger after dagger. I mean, Lucas's shot with, what was it, 50 seconds left, felt like that could be the game winner. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you got one from St. Joe's and then you got another one from Lucas and the whole thing was just. And then Jameer, Jameer Nelson, I guess I've, I've left off the last possession. Yeah. Jameer Nelson has a shot, you know, essentially to, was it to tie the game? Was it a long two or a three? I think it's it a, a long two. It was a two. Yeah. So they, they could have tied it or was that, I, I can't remember the final score off the top of my head, <laughs> but it's just, it was a frantic finish and that's easily for me the most rewatchable sequence. Yeah, uh, it's it's not even close. It, that would have been to uh, to tie it. It was sixty four, sixty two. Do you have any other nominations? Well, there was one sequence in there where, and this was in the second half, and I got to pull it up because I can't remember. So there was a rebound. I can't find it. I can I can bring up one of mine while you yeah, look. Yeah, go, go ahead. There was this is not even basketball related, but they. At one point in the broadcast, they show a montage of President Schmidley from Oklahoma State putting on the orange robe and the orange Afro wig that the famous fan named Eric Eplin would wear, like the famous fan that sat front row in the student section every game. Apparently, they had never lost while he was at a game, and he couldn't be there earlier in the tournament. So Schmidley dressed up as him, and they show a kind of a montage of him taking the robe and everything, and then they show the Daniel Bobbick twins, you know, Daniel Bobbick's wife and her sister, they did their little, you know, the ride them Cowboys deal. And it just, it was kind of just a montage of that, that whole tournament run this yeah. team went on and kind of just, I thought encapsulated just what a ride this team took us all on. It was just, there was so much involved with it, so much OSU pride in it. And I thought they did a really good job. That was a really rewatchable sequence. Just all the cast and characters that, that, that were even off the floor with following this team around. Yeah, you're right. It was it was a cool it was a cool time. It was it was really fun. Tournament runs always are fun, and especially when they're a little. I mean, you know, you, you're Kentucky or you're Duke. You're kind of used to it. You're Oklahoma State. You're you're not really used to it. I mean, you've had some runs, but every one of them is memorable and and special. So the part that I was thinking about eight minutes left. Uh, Tony Allen gets a rebound, basically on Pitt's baseline. He throws it to Terrence Crawford, who gets it almost a mid court to uh, John Lucas, no dribbles yet. Nobody's dribbled. He throws it like almost to the other end of the court to a streaking Ivan McFarlane. Still nobody's dribbled and he lays it in or dunks it and gets fouled and uh, has a three point play. No, they didn't dribble the whole time. And it was just like the perfect sequence of um, passing and like just what, I'm sure Eddie was just like beside himself with glee <laughs> over the fact that no dribbles were taken and they got an and one, you know, three points, the old fashioned way. It was, it was just a, it was a cool sequence. And I thought it encapsulated what, you know, how much better they were in that second half than the first. Cause the first half, I mean, you just talked about it. Like they couldn't even dribble it up the court. And then the second half, no dribbles, get it to the other end of the floor. IMAC gets a three point play. It was pretty awesome. 
Yeah, I remember that sequence you're talking about, and that that's really when the crowd got into it. They were rolling, and and that's when you really started to feel good about their their chances moving forward. Um, another rewatchable sequence I think ties into the the ending of the game, and the YouTube clip kind of cuts it short, but you do see Joe Adkins kind of picking up John Lucas, and John Lucas is just overcome with emotion because he he realized in the moment what a big shot that was, sends them to the Final Four. It's almost like he realized in the moment, like, this is going to be a moment I'll never forget in my life. And I wish the broadcast would have kept going on YouTube because there's also a great moment where John Lucas's dad, who was, who was getting a ton of camera time throughout the tournament, yeah. kind of picks him up and hugs him. And that was kind of, that kind of became one of the iconic images on the one shining moment and yeah. everything else. That's a very rewatchable sequence for me. I kind of forgot Joe Atkins was on the coaching staff. I did so too. I saw him picking up uh, John Lucas after the shot. I saw him. I was like, Joe. And then you see Doug at one point in the stands mm-hmm. or like behind the bench or something. Big country was there. It was, I mean, it, it was like spanned 12 years there. It was pretty cool. You have any more nominees? No, it's all I got. Those well, two. You sent me one. This is my last one before uh, we move on. Okay, uh, yeah. you can Joey Graham, the Joey Graham poster. At one point, he 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 just dunks all over this guy and get and does like a you know Joey Graham was pretty reserved, but he does like this huge like Tiger esque fist pump after it. He, it was almost like the frustration of the first half let out with that poster, and it it was it's an underrated Joey Graham dunk of all time. I'd forgotten about it. I like jumped out of my seat when I was rewatching the game. <laughs> Yeah, it's at the eleven forty-five mark, and it is—it's—it's it's not as good as the Memphis one, but it's pretty dirty. It's pretty good. Category number two: What's aged the best for you? Okay, so this? I've got like four. Is that okay? I've got like six, I think. <laughs> you want me to give all of mine, or do you want to go back and forth? Back and forth. We'll, okay. We can we can fly through these. So for me, it's the final minute, uh, and and you know you don't. I think you go back on some of this stuff, and some of it you look back on and you're like, ah, that was, there was like one good thing in there, but it wasn't as good as I remember. There was one good shot. And then there was a bunch of turnovers or whatever. The final minute, I mean, that's, and, and Marshall wrote this when he, when he went back and watched the game for the, for the first time, he's like, that's as good as college basketball gets. Like that is college basketball right there. And I totally agree. Like this frenetic end of your season type deal. And everybody's just Bearing big shots and it's just it's so awesome like the final minute of this game stands the test of time it's even better than i remember because i didn't remember the fact there were no timeouts and just how frantic the entire thing was i agree with that uh for me uh jameer nelson and delante west as a duo has aged really well to me they were really ahead of their time they were kind of like the splash brothers i mean they st joe's did not have much of a big man they were basically these two guards just lighting it up and they they brought it to OSU. I thought they were they hold up in terms of kind of being ahead of their time. Yeah, I had Delonte on my list as well. He was f- just disgusting. Like I do not uh, you you know, you remember him like in the NBA, Cavs, you know, everything that he did after this. And I I mostly remember Jameer Nelson at at St. Joe's. And when I I went back and watched this, I was like, "Oh my gosh, Delonte was unbelievable like and and I think you you saw like here's what makes him unbelievable Oklahoma State put put Tony Allen on him the whole game like you're not putting Tony Allen on somebody who's just a a clown like they like Eddie Sutton was like TA's got to be on Delonte West and just he was so he was so explosive and quick and he wasn't 
he wasn't big, but he had a couple of dunks that I was like, oh my gosh, like what in the <laughs> world? Like they, he was, he just blew me away with his athleticism and how good he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joey Graham's NBA potential for me, I mean, has aged really well watching this game. It that obviously didn't age well in real life, but Kyle, you just watched this game, like the physicality he had, the dunks he had. His game seems so perfectly suited for the NBA, and I guess the shooting is what he lacked to make it. But you watch this game, Kyle. You assume this guy's going to make ten All Star teams just because he's he's just a physical. He was he was LeBron like just in terms of his physicality. Yeah, I had I had uh, Joe. This is one of mine that I wrote down was Joey as a gam, a grown ass man. Like he was, <laughs> he was. That's what he was. I mean, and and I wrote. I have this later on talking about his NBA potential. I think I had it under uh, unanswerable questions. I put, was Joey too early for the NBA? Like would, would, would he fare better in today's NBA? I don't know. You cover it closer than I do. I don't know if, if that would work better or if it would be even worse. Cause he can't, he couldn't really shoot it in the NBA, but um, he, you, you just, you look back and watch this and you're like, he was, he was a stud. Yeah. I think he was more of a product of the game he was in. Like, uh, he would have practiced shooting more if that was more of a thing. You watch this game too; the style of play is so different. I think if he came along now, he'd be shooting threes. He'd be he'd be playing much more different game. And I think you're right. I think the NBA was different when he came out, whereas he was kind of a tweener. That was he was like the dreaded six foot eight power forward. Those were guys were considered tweeners. Now you can't have enough six foot eight, six foot nine guys on the wing. Yeah. I think he would be much better now. Well, and, and uh, you know, there was, there was part of it. And I, I wrote this in, in some of my notes. Like, I think, I don't know how well he would have fared in today's like social media stuff. Cause there were games, man, where you're, you like forget he's on the floor. Like he just would, he would kind of drift sometimes. And you, and, and you watch this and you're like, you, you should be a 25 and 12, like every night. And he, <laughs> and he, and he wasn't. And so I just, I think people would have kind of, kind of gotten on him more so than they did than we did back in 2003 2004 mm-hmm. i agree any for what's age the best i had what else did i have here oklahoma state's defense i mean Oof. it was i mean they just had they had athletes they had they had pros or eight pros in this game oklahoma state had five of them st joe's had three and uh they the their defense. I mean, look, Tony was was terrible on offense for most of the game, but defensively he was just. I mean, it was awesome. He was so good, and and even, you know, guys like Bobic and and Spoon and and uh, McFarlane. I mean, they were just. They, everybody knew what they were doing defensively, and I thought it really showed. Yeah, they they physically manhandled St. Joe's in the second half. They they really that was vintage. Eddie Sutton style defense. Uh, the last one, we have a nominee from uh, Dave Hudson. He tweeted me a, uh, an excerpt from a story leading up to this game. Phil Martelli basically said they look older, their bodies are older, it's their strength, hopefully against our quickness. To which Ivan McFarlane took exception. He says, that's really bold of them to say that. They have better overall quickness than we have. Um, and then, <laughs> in true Tony Allen fashion, he just says, quote, the game ain't going to be judged on quickness. You, you can be you can you can be faster than Carl Lewis. The game's going to be decided by buckets. <laughs> that is aged like a fine wine. Well said, the poet that is Tony Allen. 
I need the shirt. The game's going to be decided by buckets. You can be as fast as Carl Lewis or as quick as Carl Lewis. That doesn't matter. Uh, it's That's fantastic. So good. I freaking love Tony. I, m- I miss those teams. They were so fun. Oh. They, were, they were fun to cover like the 11 football team was fun to cover, right? Like you had guys that I, – I mean, they were pros, and I think they knew they were pros. And so they just carried themselves like that. And, you know, you and you might have covered the team. I, I didn't cover anything back then. I was That was pre – I used to see Tony Allen walking to class – two or three times a week. We always kind of walked on the same, he would always walk toward me and past me. And he was always listening to Jay-Z on his headphones and like rapping out loud. And it was just like, that's exactly how I picture Tony Allen walking to class. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I love that team. Uh, What's age the worst for you, Kyle? Uh, What's age the worst? Jameer Nelson's, or excuse me, Delonte West's uniform. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the big XL t-shirt. It looks like he wore, it looks like they fitted Big Country for like a, a, a memorial, like St. Joe's uniform, and then they gave it to Delonte West. <laughs> I mean, I just I'm imagining these like you know tank tops that guys wear now that are like tight and you know barely there's you know it's just you can see everything, and Delonte was like. He looked hidden. Like, I couldn't see any of him besides his head. It was crazy. That T-shirt just swallowed him. I mean, the <laughs> sleeves went down to, like, his elbows. I don't know how he shot baskets with that thing, but... I don't either. Yeah, it, that was a bad look. Yeah, it was not great. And and St. Joe's... Uh, for me... Well, St. Joe's... Real quick. St. Joe's uniforms in general, I mean... I think you could see the numbers and the letters on their backs from, like, the International Space Station. They were so big. <laughs> It was <laughs> the the whole thing was it was tough. Well, somebody tweeted me actually. Their their manufacturer who made their uniforms was the same ones that that Sports Bell that has a little like Bell logo that yeah. actually the Les Miles yeah. era ushered in the alarm clock font. Yeah, we have them to thank for that, and that's who made St. Joe's uniforms. So there was some some ugly symmetry there. I wonder if they were affiliated with Just Ball. You remember Just Ball? Oh yeah. The hat. I think that was the less the famous hat. Yeah, <laughs> yep. His original top hat. <laughs> uh, for me, Kyle, what's aged the worst is is Eddie's press break. Like, mm. did, did we not? Was this just like a curveball that St. Joe's threw on them, or is this something they ran and all the time? Which, like, did we not practice this? Like, he, Eddie had an all star coaching staff with with uh, Kyle Keller and Sean Sutton, Glenn Cyprian. Where, where was the practice on this? They got destroyed in the first half. Break the press. Yeah, it was it was non-existent. It was really bad. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, to be fair, though, I, it's not like, you know, it's not like you and I were pressing. It was Delonte West, Jameer Nelson. That was that was a real thing. So I, I do give them a little bit of grace there. But they, to your point, they didn't even have a plan. It was like, why is – why is Joey Graham dribbling down the middle of the <laughs> exactly. floor? Like, yeah. wh- like what, what is this? So yeah, that was, that was not good. Um, I had the number of mid range shots Oklahoma state took now. Look like it was a different game in 2004. And actually somebody on the chamber said this and I agree. It was almost faster back then. And I think it's because look, there were only 30 fouls in this game. You know how many, you know how many games Oklahoma State in 2020, 2019-20 this past season 
they only had, I think, seven games in which both teams committed fewer than 30 combined fouls. Wow. Which, which is, and everything else is in the 30s, 40s. I think there was 50 in one game or 53 or something. So it, it felt like, I mean, I'm off track here, but it felt like a different game than that they were allowed to play a little bit more than they are now. And uh, I don't even remember what my original point was. Um, where was it? Oh, mid-range shots. Oklahoma State takes a lot of mid-range shots, and they hit a lot of them, but I just – that – to me, it wouldn't it wouldn't make as much sense in 2020 as it did in 2004. Yeah, there was a few times where Tony Allen would would pump fake on a three and then dribble a couple dribbles to get like a a long two, which yeah. in today's game is just unfathomable. Like a like a 17 footer. <laughs> yeah, he hit a few, uh, but uh, I want to what else? What, what has aged probably the worst for me watching this game was Tony Allen's performance. The dribbling into traffic absolutely murdered them in the first half. He kept trying to go behind his back, 360s, and it was a turnover and a bucket every time. I did not remember, Kyle, how how poorly Tony Allen played in this game. That It was a shocking rewatch. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, my my last one is uh, John Lucas's dad. Now, look, the moment at the end, that was cool, where they're hugging and everything. He had some moments during the game where he's, like, trying to coach from the stands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's pacing. Not not a great look. Uh, I think Billy Packer at one point said, "I hope I hope uh, John Lucas isn't looking at his dad and trying to be coached from the stands." <laughs> it was. Uh, I did not remember that, and it was not a great look. And he was wearing like black and red Jordan stuff. So come on, man, can we not put on some orange? Like, yeah. Come on, what's your OSU gear? Yeah. Uh, last one for me. What's age the worst? This might have been Daniel Bobick's worst career game. He was terrible in the first half. He got in a quick foul trouble, had a turnover on one of those press breaks, and Eddie Sutton is just wearing him out the whole game. Now, I will give Daniel Bobbitt credit. He forced Jameer Nelson to fade away on the final shot of the game, and that shot came up just short. It was right on line, but he kind of he got in his face and forced him to fade away a little bit. So he came through in the clutch moment. But, man, this, this might have been the worst game of his career. He was, he was terrible. Yeah, he uh, he was frustrated too. You know, at one point he picked up, I think it was his third foul, and he was just yelling and he was just mad. It was not, uh, I don't know, it wasn't it wasn't good. But yeah, look, like when you're the, I don't know, fifth or sixth best guy on the team. I mean that that's what stuck out to me of like, if Daniel Bobbick's on the 2018 or 2019 or 2020 team, he's like a top three guy and. It's different when you're the sixth best guy. Like that's how you win Big Twelve titles and and go to to play for national championships. That's true. Very true. Uh, next category: the greatest, a sliding doors moment. So I had two here. Let's say you. Yeah. So the biggest what if for me is what if the Big Twelve tournament had ended earlier than it did. <laughs> <laughs> so my point there is like, would we have still gotten this game right because? So Oklahoma State plays Eastern Washington. You mentioned this Eastern Washington, Memphis, Pitt, uh, St. Joe's gets Liberty, Tech, and Wake. Uh, so they played Liberty in the first round, Texas Tech in the second round, and then Wake Forest in the third. Carson, I'm not convinced that St. Joe's would have rolled through Memphis and Pitt like OSU did. Maybe they would have, but I, I'm not totally sure we get this game if you flip the seeds and OSU is the one seed and, and St. Joe's is the two seed. I, in fact, 
Uh, yeah, a different seed I had written down. And and to your point, too, Kyle, like St. Joe's, you know, they killed Liberty in the first round. They played Texas Tech, beat them by five. They beat Wake Forest by four. I mean, they're skirting by, whereas OSU's beating better teams by double digits. To, yeah. to me, I remember being mad in the moment. Like, why the heck is St. Joe's the number one seed? They were not as impressive. Like, OSU was the most impressive team in the tournament leading into this game. Yeah. Uh, so I, I agree with that. Like, my sliding doors moment was different seed. Like what if they get a number one seed in a different region? Yeah. Um, lost my place here. Okay. And, and this other one I had was what if Kansas beats Georgia tech? Kansas had a shot at Georgia tech. Mm. Uh, Cause that's who obviously OSU played in the final four and OSU had already beaten Kansas by 20 in Gallagher. And then really they were up by like 30 that whole game. They just yeah. destroyed Kansas. What if Kansas beats Georgia Tech? There's no Luke Shinsher, and uh, who knows? Maybe OSU goes to the the national championship game. That's a whole other issue with Georgia Tech. But, but I just, what if Kansas had taken care of business for for the Big Twelve? That's that's one I had. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, my other one was, what if the Baylor scandal never happens, giving Oklahoma State John Lucas? Ooh, that's a great one. I yeah. hadn't thought of that one. It's a bigger. I mean, it's obviously bigger than this one game, but I thought of it because he was so big at the end of this game. Yeah, and, and at that point, OSU was recruiting uh, Will Bynum, who ends up <laughs> that's who ends all- up going to Georgia Tech and hitting the winning shot against them. Yeah, in the that's, final an all-time, that's an all-time what-if. Uh, my last what-if is, you know, as I mentioned, OSU had kind of rolled through their region. Like, is this team even more remembered? Like, they're always going to be remembered for making a Final Four, but the close game, the, the game-winning shot by Lucas, is this team even... Does it, did it go down even further in lore, the fact that they had a close win like this with a, such a big shot, like as opposed to beating St. Joe's by like 10? That's, a, that's kind of a what-if for me. Yeah, I think uh, – I don't know. I mean, what was the – I think anytime you go to the Final Four, it's a huge deal. What was – do you remember the score of the uh, UMass game in 95, that regional final? Because that one wasn't – I mean, I don't think it was a one-point game. Maybe, maybe it was. I don't. I guess I don't remember. But that, you know, we remember that big country team fondly just because they went to the Final Four. I, I don't. I, I, I agree with you that it's like. I think it just it magnifies the moment. I don't know that it necessarily makes us remember that team more fondly. Sure, I think that's fair. Uh, the Dion Waiters Award for the best heat check by a player in this game. I'll start. For me, it was Janava Weatherspoon. Like. He just kind of comes off the bench and just like is flying around on defense. He had a couple buckets. He had a couple fouls. He just like he, I thought him and Terrence Crawford were kind of held the team afloat yeah. in the first half. Yeah, I thought I thought I thought Weatherspoon was pretty good off the bench. Him and him and TC. Uh, Oklahoma State beat UMass by fourteen, by the way, in nineteen ninety five. Wow, God, they were good. Uh, yeah, the the spoon call is is a good one because I I actually wrote down at one point. Uh, Spoon seems out of his league, and then I went back and erased it like two minutes later he, <laughs> because he was really good in the first half. Uh, my heat, my Dion Waiters moment was um, Pat Carroll taking eleven threes. <laughs> I have Pat Carroll written down too for St. Joe's. He took eleven threes. This was, I mean, it wasn't like the it wasn't the Steph era either. It was unusual to take that many threes, and he took eleven of them. He only hit three or four, I think. But he was just, I mean, he didn't care. He was like, whatever, Delonte, I'm I'm yanking. Someone tweeted me that OSU only shot eight per game as a team that year. 
So that kind of illustrates your point. That illustrates the point I made. They're, they were really kind of ahead of their time. A, a two-guard dominant team that, that shot that shot more threes than normal. But yeah. I had Pat Carroll written down too. Didn't feel like he was going to miss, even though he apparently he missed a lot. <laughs> he did miss a lot. Uh, the Grady Little Award. Again, these are Bill Simmons categories, so they're Boston-centric. Uh, Grady Little Award for coaching screw-up. Uh, what's yours? I ha- We might have had the same one. And, and I only had it because Billy Packer was yelping about it throughout the second half. I thought – I thought Eddie almost got himself into trouble by keeping Joey out too long. So Joey, Joey picks up his third foul with like 10 30 left and he takes him out. He puts him back in he picks up his fourth foul with like seven 30 left, but he doesn't bring him back until I think three 30 and it gets into like the five minute range. And you're like, wait a second. Like they, here's the lineup they had out there with four minutes left Carson. So you hit the four minute mark your five guys, this is your crunch time five. Now, this is not who they ended the game with, but at four minutes, you need to have your crunch time five in there. They had Daniel Bobbick, Tony Allen, Terrence Crawford, Spoon, and IMac. That's not good. You, you, you got to have Joey and, and John Lucas out there. And they got him back in, but it was with like 320 or 330 left. I thought, I thought Eddie almost overplayed his hand there. He got away with it, but another, I don't know, 30 seconds minute, and he might not have. Yeah, I think I, I, now that you mentioned, I think I remember screaming at the TV to put Joey back in. <laughs> uh, mine also pertains to Eddie. Uh, OSU was out of timeouts mm. with like 2.30 left. And St. Joe's had two timeouts left with about a minute 30 left. So like the timeout disparity, a lot of that was, you know, the coach doesn't call every timeout. Sometimes yeah. players get in bad positions and they kind of ran into a buzz a buzzsaw with that, but they had no timeouts for like the last two and a half minutes of the game. So the timeout situation was kind of a, a coaching mess up as well. And I, and I already mentioned the press break for Eddie was just, it was atrocious in the first half, but they, Hey, they fixed it in the second. What yeah. else you got? Uh, that's all I had. I, I thought it was a pretty well coached game. I thought, I thought, um, Oh, what's his name from, from St. Joe's, uh, or Phil Martelli. Yeah. I thought he did a good job. I thought, you know, putting Barley on on it was interesting to watch the switches because you had you had Tony Allen being guarded by this Barley guy who was just in his dish all night, and then on on defense, Tony would have to switch over to Delonte, and he was just he was kind of worn out by the end of it. I think. I mean, I, I don't know how you wouldn't be running Delonte all over the floor and then getting just abused by by this Barley kid. Um, I thought. I don't know. I thought both of them did a good job other than the press break thing. You're right. My, my, my last thing that I had was I thought Phil Martelli should have taken more advantage of Jameer Nelson being guarded by Daniel Bobbick. And look, I thought Bobbick was one of their best defenders. He's obviously their two guard. They didn't have a lot behind him, but it felt like Nelson could get by him anytime he wanted. And I thought they should have attacked him more in terms of like pick and roll, pick and rolls and, just the matchup of Jameer Nelson, who look was—he was an awesome player. I thought they could have taken advantage of that a little more than they did. In the Why? Half. I don't remember Lucas not being a very good defender. Was he just terrible defensively? Well, he's really small, and of course Nelson wasn't that big. But yeah, I think they tried to hide him on defense quite a bit. I mean, they had him on. They um, had him on. He, like, he has played in the NBA for a while, though. So they had him on some guy that was—I don't think it was Carroll. It was some other white guy that was like taller. I mean, he was a lot taller than Lucas, and I was like, "Wow, they are trying to stash him because Spoon was on was on Nelson. I guess Bobic was out, so they kind of went with like Spoon and Bobic throughout the game against Nelson, which was interesting." Yep. Uh, next award, uh, the Tim McCarver Award for 
broadcast team critiques. I don't know about you, Kyle, but I thought Billy Packer was sensational. I thought he was throwing about 98 miles per hour, high heat the whole game. He can't, he starts off the broadcast saying OSU deserved to be the number one seed. He, he, you could hear him talking in reverential tones throughout the game. Like you could tell, you could really tell. Obviously, he was calling that region, so he called a few OSU games prior to that. But you could really tell he had done his research of how freaking good this OSU team was, and specifically how good Tony Allen was. I thought Billy Packer was sensational. I thought he sets up the final stretch, the final two thirty, perfectly. They come to him and Nance. He's like, OSU has no timeouts left with 2.30 left. Tony Allen called one you just cannot make yeah. as, a, as an upperclassman. That really has put them in a bad bind. He has to know the situation better. And the last thing I'll say is I thought this game ends in such frantic frantic fashion, but I thought Billy Packer like encapsulated the whole game on the spot as the game ended. He says, quote, Every, this has been everything this game should have been. Yep. Two outstanding teams. Heartbreak Hill, not Hog Hill for St. Joe's. I've never heard that phrase before, but it kind of worked. Two great teams playing outstanding basketball. That was his line at second the buzzer hit zero. I thought Billy Packer was awesome. I had that written down too. I said I thought Packer in particular was outstanding. He, I thought he called out refs when they needed to be called out. He was hollering about Joey the whole game, about how good he was, which he was. And then the other thing, the thing that stood out to me, Carson, was he, he kind of went at guys that were stars for not playing well. Like he was, he was on John Lucas in the first half and the beginning of the second. And I think that's something that we've kind of gone away from in terms of, in terms of sports media and broadcasting, like everybody's kind of, and I get it. Like you're, you're just, you're friendly with guys. You don't want to kill guys or whatever, but he did a great job of balancing it without being mean spirited. And I thought he was fantastic. And, you know, I thought Nance was really them together. It was just, they're so, they were so good together and they worked so well together. I forgot that, that uh, Nance was on that call. I have to have to ask him about that sometime. See what he remembers from it. (laughs) It, I thought it added weight to the moment, to the game. It adds to the kind of just the lore. I keep using that word. That's really, I thought it was, I was pleasantly surprised when I found out that those two were on the call, the A team. And the other thing is like, as fast as that last minute seemed to us 15 years later, can you imagine trying to call it? I mean, in, in the moment trying to get all that stuff right and like do it with some gravitas and it, it just, they did it really well. And uh, yeah, I'm with you. Packer was awesome. I guess that's another, what if, what if uh, Gus Johnson calls the Joey Graham show? <laughs> <laughs> but no, they were, they were great. Uh, I don't have a ton on these. This is uh, best unintentional comedy moments. I had uh, the Schmidley dressing up as Eric Eplin. Uh, you mentioned it. Young Gottlieb, who looked like he was about, you know, obviously he was only a few years out of college, but he looked like he was about 21 in the, in the shot of him behind the bench. But uh, my number one, my, and my only one really, Kyle, is uh, Eddie Sutton in the first half, after Joey Graham has one of the worst turnovers of the first half on the press break, he unleashes maybe the most iconic Eddie scowl of all time. His upper, his bottom lip is almost touching his nose. He's scowling so hard at, at Joey. I thought it was, since they went on to win the game, it was a really funny moment. Was that your unintentional comedy? Yes, because it was, it was funny. It wasn't funny in the moment, but it was kind of unintentional comedy, just how big of a scowl that was. It was almost, it was almost touching his nose. I literally wrote down every shot of Eddie on the bench was was my best unintentional comedy. Carson, there was a moment in the second half. Uh, John Lucas takes a three with like 140 left. 
and Eddie does the uh, the Wojo thing where he's pounding the floor, but it's not because he's wants to play defense. It's because he's so pissed at John Lucas for taking a three with one forty left. He was he was irate <laughs> about so many different things, but he just. I don't know, man. He hits all the right notes, and he was so good, and that team responded to him, and he got him to a Final Four. Yep. Uh, uh, by the way, hey, real quick, I just got a text from from uh, Nance about this. this wait, is, you actually you actually like have Nance's number and text him? Yeah. So he just texted me back. You you want to hear what he said about the game? Absolutely. Okay. So this is this is like five minutes ago. He said, "Long live Eddie Sutton," which is a great way to start. He said, do you, you don't believe me right now, do you? I, I, I'm giddy right now, actually. <laughs> he said, what I remember about that game was that uh, Billy Packard made a point during the selection show that he didn't feel St. Joe's was worthy of a number one seed. And then he said uh, there, was a ch- there was kind of a chilly reception from Coach Martelli and St. Joe's and everybody involved because uh, they felt they were being underappreciated. So... He said that's that that was kind of like the the aura of that game going into it. Wow, good memory by him. You know how many games he's called? I I know. It's amazing, I, you can bring that up. I was I'll thinking about that. Up. I was thinking about that during the game. I was like, how many cool games has he you know been a part of or or been close to or whatever? Because you know we watch them all and it's like kind of forget about him. But to to be calling it to be caught to be part of the moment is that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Next uh, category. Probably unanswerable questions. For me, the number one, Kyle, is what if Joey Graham doesn't fumble it to Lucas? It looked as if he was going to drive to the bucket. Does he does he get fouled and go to the free throw line? There's kind of a there's a lot of alternate scenarios that could have played out if he didn't bumble it and fumble it. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm gonna talk about that in my hottest retroactive take here in a minute. <laughs> um I think mine was what would that OSU team look like in this era? You know, uh Bonnie Bernstein talked about how like they were the best shooting team in the country. I don't remember that. Uh, I guess it makes sense because Lucas was a good shooter. Bobic was a good shooter. Uh, Tony was a decent shooter, as I remember. I didn't look up his numbers. Um, but yeah, I, I just I wonder if they're better or worse in 2020 and the way the game is now than they were in 2004. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Uh, also, if they lose, like for me, like if they lose this game. Is is Tony Allen's legacy affected? Is it remembered differently? Because again, he was really bad in this game. Is yeah. he still? You know, I talk about him as if he's the goat to ever play at OSU, just because he was the alpha on both ends of the floor. I did not remember how poor he was in this game. If that was the last memory we had of him, what uh, what does his legacy look like? Yeah, that's a really good one. I didn't I didn't even think about that. Um, I had. And mine's similar, though. I, I, I started thinking a lot about, like, just how to translate 2004 to 2020. And so I was just wondering if Tony could be as good in 2020 as he was in 04, because I don't think he was a great three-point shooter. He didn't take a ton of threes, I don't think. He was a good shooter overall, but I think it's because he took shots that he can make. And maybe to your point, maybe he just practices more threes and he becomes better at it. But it seems like his game was really kind of built for that sort of era, like just – muck it up and get after guys defensively i just i don't i don't know i don't know if he's the same player in 2020 as he was in 04 that's true very true and my last probably unanswerable question is and i think this was kind of a narrative for that team is why couldn't they get stevie graham more involved 
Um, I think a lot of people wanted him to get more playing time and, and usually at the expense of Daniel Bobbick. I think that was kind of always the talking point is, you know, Stevie Graham's half as good as Joey Graham. Why doesn't he play? I mean, he, he yeah. Stevie Graham went on to have, I think, a better, yeah. quote unquote, better career than Joey did right. in the NBA, which is shocking. But I think that's an unanswerable question from this team is why couldn't Eddie get anything out of Stevie Graham? Well, really, both teams only played seven guys on each side, right? So so St. Joe's literally only played seven guys. And for Oklahoma State, it was really just uh, TC and, and Spoon that played off the bench. You, you saw uh, Jason Miller got like three minutes. Stevie got one minute. And that was kind of it. You know, it was it was basically a seven-man rotation on both sides. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm curious about that. Uh, next one, funniest in-game promo. I don't think there were any because it was YouTube, but maybe this was before CBS did in-game promos. Did you catch one that I missed? There were some. They had. I, I remember they were playing uh, Jesus the movie like that Sunday night, <laughs> and it was oh. like there was like five minutes left in the game, and Jim Nance was like, "And uh, Jesus the movie, we're playing uh, CBS <laughs> Sunday night." I'm like, "Okay, what's? I don't know what's going on right now." But for this, I had. Um, President Schmidley in the wig. It wasn't an in-game promo, but it was the thing that about like the in-game stuff that stood out the most to me. It was, yeah, it was pretty funny. That's a good one. Uh, here we go. Uh, hottest retroactive take that you wish you had in the moment. Okay, so I got two, and I'll give them. I'll give them both to you. The first is that St. Joe's had the two best players on the court. Oof. I don't know if I actually believe that because Joey was freaking Joey. Dead. And, and Lucas at the end of the, that, yeah, that, that but game was sensational. I just, I guess my point is, I don't remember Nelson and Wes being as just unbelievable as they were. And then my second one is that that last possession that Oklahoma State ran was nonsense. They hadn't, <laughs> they had no idea what they were doing because you had the three other guys on the other side of the court. You give it to Joey at the, at the three point line at the top of the, the, the circle and, and what are you, what are you expecting? Like, is he gonna like take his guy off the dribble? I mean, that's what he tried to do, and he couldn't. He couldn't even get to the free throw line. And he got they. All, I think they kind of got bailed out because he slipped, right? Because you see the the St. Joe's defender that was on. I forgot who it was, but that was on Lucas. Kind of go help because it's like, oh, we might get a turnover here. And because he slipped and was falling, that almost created space for Lucas to hit the shot and. I just it was not it it was a it was a botched play is what it was it was it wasn't even a play it was nothing and then <laughs> it turned into the greatest moment in OSU basketball history or one of them it really was and you're so right because when he bobbles it Lucas's man starts to go for the basketball and yeah. Joey picks it up at the last second yeah and all of a sudden Lucas is wide open and and I didn't remember Kyle how much rim that shot hit it kind of oh rattled in a little gosh. bit it was not, <laughs> it looked off honestly as it's heading towards the rim yeah but it, it, it fell it fell and the rest is history uh what i had for this was uh, i thought terrence crawford needed needed more minutes i thought he was really good yeah. i thought he played good defense good rebounding he kind of i thought his minutes were i thought he made the most of his minutes that he got and this is a really hot take but eddie needed to pull one of his patented moves and sit tony allen down put him on the bench yeah for a spell 
because he was out of control in the first half. Well, he tried to do that to Lucas. He At one point, Lucas turned it over, had a three or something, and he tried to pull him, and then Lucas made, like, two or three buckets in a row, and so he didn't. <laughs> and, like, uh, speaking of TC, I had this comparison the other day. I wanted to get your take on it. Uh, Terrence Crawford and Kai Staley, kind of the same person? In what way? Well, they were both Oklahoma high school just legends, right? Like, just superstars. Yeah. Both had yeah. injuries in college. I think both had knee injuries in college. Yeah. Uh, and then both became fan favorites kind of later on. That's a good, that's a really good comparison. They kind of became unsung heroes in yeah. a lot of ways. I felt good about that one. That's a good one. Yeah, Terrence Crawford's a legend. And that knee injury really changed his entire career. I, I do wonder if he was a little ahead of his time in terms of just you know knee operations. He wore a big, bulky knee brace, and now you see guys recover from torn ACLs all the time. It's pretty common. So, uh, And my last one, Kyle, and we can move on, is I thought the NCAA Tournament Committee, if in the moment, I should have like thought more that like we needed like a, a Sports Illustrated 10-part series on the shadiness of the NCAA Tournament <laughs> Committee. Not only giving OSU a two-seed, but putting them in that region with – Pitt as the three seed and St. Joe's the one when OSU should have been a one seed. But, I thought that was egregious. But it makes sense, right? Like if if St. Joe's is the last one, you wouldn't want to be again. I don't, I don't. I forgot who the other three one seeds were, but you would want to be in the easy quote unquote easiest one seeds region, right? Yeah, that's true. But but yeah, Pitt thirty a thirty one three seed is tough. Yeah. Uh, you ready to move on? Yeah. Any more hot takes? No, yeah. it's that was. The the hottest take is that Eddie didn't have a plan at the end and everybody got bailed out. <laughs> yeah, well, you didn't have any timeouts. You didn't have time to formulate a plan. And it, it almost made it better, like for both sides. I I I'm pro. Like, don't call the timeout. You it's you're not gonna run unless you're Brad Stevens. Like, just just let it go. Like, just let guys yeah. go at it, figure it out. And if it falls, it falls. And if it doesn't, then it wasn't gonna fall anyway. Although Eddie had had some good ATOs. We all we all saw those, but. Uh, Apex Mountain, Kyle. Who? Who? Uh, I guess there's several candidates here for Apex Mountain. Was this? Was this John Lucas's Apex Mountain? He hits the game winning shot to send OSU to the Final Four. I think it's got to be right. I mean, you know, he had a good year. The next year, they uh, they lose to Arizona in the Sweet Sixteen, the Salim Stoudemire game. He played in the league a little bit, but. I don't know. He played in the league for, I guess, probably longer than I think he did. He was there for quite a few years. He hung on, yeah. But he didn't really. I don't think he ever really did anything, did he? No, he was he was kind of a a bench guy and into the bench guy. I mean, look, that's a big deal. How many guys can say I made a I made a shot, I made a three to go to the final four? There's like ten guys on the planet that can say that. That's a huge deal. It's not like. That's an, that's a really great apex mountain if you're a, if you're an athlete if you play high school college pro pro sports right mm-hmm. so yeah I think that was that was apex mountain for him for sure I think this is Eddie Sutton's apex mountain look we've we've criticized some of his coaching in this game but make no mistake I mean I'll always remember Kyle I think this is the definitive most iconic photo of Eddie. When I think of Eddie Sutton, I think of the photo of him at this game cutting the net down and smiling, holding the net. I think, obviously, we all know how his career played out after this. They lose in the Sweet 16, and that's basically it for him. So I think making the Final Four, and, and, and Eddie talked on the broadcast through the announcers a lot about, this is I'm not going to have very, very many chances at this. This might be my last chance at a Final Four. 
so I just I think of that photo of him cutting down the net, smiling, still in good health as uh, as Eddie's apex. Yeah, he he would have been my other one as well. Uh, John Lucas, John Lucas averaged seven and a half points for Chicago one year. Yeah, he played quite a bit on Chicago. That's huh. who I think of when I think of his career. That's pretty good. Uh, Joey Graham's Apex Mountain. Uh, who won Big Twelve Player of the Year? Or was that the was that the was that, did he win it the next year? No, 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 no. He never won it. But I'm wondering who yeah. won it in '05. Hmm. Was that uh... probably someone from Kansas? <laughs> it wasn't. Blake Griffin wasn't there. Uh, I'll look it up. You 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 give your Joey. Take. I I think this might be just because it was their their biggest run in March. Now obviously he went on to be a lottery pick, so he he still had plenty more moments. But I'll probably I'll stop short and say this wasn't Joey Graham's apex because it wasn't his Picasso. But he did play. A, he did make the all region team. I think three guys. I think Tony Allen, John Lucas, and, and Joey Graham made the all region team going into the final four. So. He was good. He was great, but I don't, I don't think it was his apex. I do think this was the Bobic twins' apex. How much camera time did they get? Yeah, it was a big run for them. I looked up uh, Daniel Bobic as I was researching for this, like just to see what he's doing. And uh, he's like coaching in Arizona, I think Phoenix, maybe. I don't know. He'd be some. He'd be somebody that's interesting to talk to. You. Speaking of, we're gonna have somebody from this game, Carson, on our podcast Ooh. soon. Oof. Can't uh, wait. Yeah, I can't give it away. It's a tease. But uh yeah, it was it was definitely the uh the the I don't even know what we're calling them, but it was their it was their time to shine. And they did. It was great. Maybe maybe we'll find out what exactly Eddie said at halftime when we talk to this person. <laughs> Wayne Simeon, Big Twelve Player of the Year in two thousand five. Uh that's right. He was really good. Yeah. So uh okay. Final category, Kyle. Uniform review. Yeah, yeah let, review. let's talk about this week's uniform review brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. I don't know what to say other than St. Joe's uniforms are like some of the worst that have ever been created. They look like G League uniforms. Um, <laughs> maybe like maybe like expansion franchise G League uniforms. They look like high school uniforms. Yeah. Yeah, they uh, they they were really bad, and I think this is one of the more classic looks from OSU. I love the black road uniforms, the brand on the front. I think I, I actually kind of prefer Oklahoma State to yeah. be on the front, as opposed to the brand. But just when they showed up in the black unis, Kyle, it always felt like they were going to win. Yeah. So that is a uni mismatch, big time. And one thing that's not aged well is how baggy they are. You already mentioned that with Delonte West, <laughs> but like Lucas is just swallowed in his uniform. Um, so yeah it's like if you laid out lucas's uniform now like the only person that could wear it would be like caleb boone yeah like he (laughs) like that like that's who would wear it if he was uh if if they just had his uniform out i still have those shorts those shorts are awesome i think the shorts are better than the tops the tops are okay but the shorts are elite they're really good the shorts are iconic i had a pair of the black ones uh they mysteriously went missing in the fraternity house. I think somebody oh. stole it from me. Yeah, that's not so good. They probably wouldn't fit anymore anyway, so I'm over it. Okay, last category. Last category. Who won the game? Who's your who, who won this game? It was the GAM. The grown-ass man. Really? Joey Graham. Joey Graham. Yeah. 
Joey Billy Gant. Packer, every time he got a rebound, Billy Packer like was just beside himself at how good Joey Graham was. He was sick. He was he was really good. And he had let's see his line here. He had Joey Graham had seventeen points, seven of eight shooting. Uh, three for six from the foul line, not great. Eleven boards, one assist, uh, two turnovers. Uh, he played. He only played twenty eight minutes, Carson, because he got into foul trouble late. Foul trouble. I, I just feel like he was. You know, I I should probably retract my statement that St. Joe's had the two best guys on the floor. I think Joey. Maybe overall they did, but Joey was was right there. I mean, if not the best guy on the floor, then certainly with with those two guys as the top three. Man amongst boys, boys. Um, I have to go a different route. I gotta go with John Lucas, and obviously, he hits the iconic shot. It's one of the most iconic moments in NCAA history, certainly in OSU history. But it's also a shot they'll always show for the years to come. But I think it's more than that. Why I'm picking him, Kyle. I think rewatching this game, he was really their only option for outside scoring. Yeah. If he didn't, if he didn't start making shots in the second half they were not going to win because they just were not getting their inside game with Ivan McFarlane going very much at all. And I thought he was the only option they had for outside shooting. And he came up clutch. I mean, he hit some big, big shot after big shot in the second half. And I, you remember the, the game winner, but you forget about that fadeaway in the last minute. You forget about some of the threes he hit. I thought he was sensational and really is the reason they won the game in terms of hitting outside shots because they really had no outside offense to speak of besides him. Yeah, no, I I agree. By the way, Tony's line does not if you like if you listen to this podcast and you go look at his line, you'd be like these guys are morons because he was uh he was 12 points on 6 of 11 shooting, which was really good. 6 boards, 5 assists, 2 steals, 3 blocks. He kind of filled it up, but if you watch it, it doesn't add up. It doesn't it doesn't make sense cuz he also had four turnovers. He looked like he had no clue at times. Um, but yeah, you're right about Lucas. Like he, in terms of outside stuff, yeah, that was, that was pretty much it. Yep. This was fun, Kyle. Our yep. first rewatchables. I mean, I'm let's go Drexel in 95. Let's go for, well, maybe not Florida in 2000. That one was tough. Um, yeah, you can't do all wins though, I guess. That Florida, maybe you can't. that Florida team, my gosh, loaded. loaded that roster. I mean, it was just like seven pros. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Gottlieb was hollering Billy about had them rolling. Yeah, Gottlieb was hollering about that the other day. Um, okay, this was awesome. We're going to have somebody from this game on the podcast soon. He agreed to do it. I think maybe later this week, Carson. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, you know what helps us out during a time of uh, a lot of ambiguity is subscribing to the podcast. Leave a review. Rate us. Send it to your friends. Carson, I feel like we have the best OSU podcast going. I don't see anybody digging into the 04 St. Joe's game. Or maybe <laughs> they maybe they are. I don't know. But, um, yeah, we, we would really appreciate if you if people just pass this on, keep subscribing, uh, pump those numbers up, and, uh, yeah, we'll be back soon. Yeah, and let us know what game you want to do us to do rewatchables on. This was a lot of fun, and I think it's something that – can kind of get us through these these uh these barren times with sports for sure okay all right, all right Kyle. See ya. See ya.